This is Being Human. I'm your host, Richard Atherton. Tom Druitt, campaigner and social entrepreneur and CEO of The Big Lemon. Welcome. Morning. How are you doing? I'm very good. Yes, thank you. Uh, great to see you. And I thought we'd start with uh, people, those watching on YouTube, you could just about see my uh, Stone Roses t-shirt in, in shot with a big lemon in homage to, to Tom and your, and your venture. Um, so in fact, we should do a, maybe we should do a quick uh, t-shirt comparison. So you've got one on right. Happy is the new rich. Is that right? Rich. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. So right. Uh, so yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get because happiness is a big part, big theme, right? For for big lemon. So I'm sure we'll get into that. So I thought we'd start for those who've not heard of the big lemon. You know, maybe and maybe we've got some international listeners as well. You know, so what's the big lemon about? Um, and you know, where where are you based? And and sort of give us the story of the, of the big lemon. Cool. Well, um, the big lemon is based in Brighton. It, um, it's a, essentially a bus and coach company, but um, with, a, with a, a real uh, <clears throat> kind of a, a vision of a whole new way of um, mobility, really. Um, it started as a conversation in a pub in, in Brighton about 2006, and then... Um, you know, we had a public meeting and and just kind of took it from there. Um, essentially, the the main themes that were discussed in the public meeting were uh, affordability of public transport, um, sustainability of public transport, and the um, you know the relationship with the community. So uh, when we um, then we kind of started talking about the passenger experience and and the whole you know the the whole kind of public transport experience the way things work together the way trains and buses and and other modes all connected and um really i think a lot of people felt at the time this was you know just over 11 years ago that um it just wasn't, you know, public transport was such an important part of the solution to many kind of societal and uh, environmental problems. And um, everyone's perception of it was just that it was not really meeting its potential. Um, and, and for very many different reasons. You know, the, the, public, the experience on the bus, if you were getting the bus, um, sometimes really good, sometimes really poor. Um, the uh, you know the kind of information around fares and tickets and things like that, uh, very poor. Um, you know you, you had to get a different ticket for each different company that you got, um, and and there wasn't much information about you know what was available in terms of. Uh, you know, deals and and you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, if you look at the the kind of sustainability of it, it was you know just old clunky diesel buses belching out smoke. Um, it, it obviously, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, quite often, buses 
um, you know, at the time, I think they have modernized a lot, but, uh, you know, there used to be a huge number of really dirty old things and they were dirty inside as well and, and not very well cared for. And, you know, the whole thing was just a bit old and tired and, and the industry just felt like it needed a rocket up its um, backside. Um, but apart from that, I think the, you know, we had uh, the privatization of, of buses in the 80s and um, that was under Thatcher. And since then, buses have basically been a profit-making uh, enterprise. And through that, I think um, a lot of the, the kind of community, um, you know, the, the community need for uh, you know, public transport as, as a service to people in the community, I think that kind of got lost. So, uh, for example, um, at the moment, bus companies will only run profitable routes and they'll they'll let other routes um you know go and uh, local authorities have to pick up the pieces and if they don't have any money they don't and and then the the kind of less well used services just disappear and we're seeing that all over the country you know public um local authorities strapped for cash uh, just closing down bus services because they're too expensive to run and um, not viable for for yeah kind of profit making businesses to run. And um, so essentially, you've got commercial enterprises picking off the cream and leaving the rest to to rot. And obviously, that's not not good for anyone. Um, the big lemon really started as a uh, uh, as a way to make make it human scale again make it real make it about those people in those communities that need those bus services and and that was kind of you know whether or not it was making money you know we had we obviously have to make a you know we have to make ends meet same as any other business but um you know, if if we've got three services that are making money and two that aren't, as long as the total is is sustainable financially, then um, then that's a good thing. That's fine. So, so you can push it a bit further in terms of those less well used routes than a company that was purely profit driven could. Yeah, say? completely. I mean, we had a we've. We've got a situation in in Brighton um, where, you know, we um, we have a, a a commercial operator that's very good for it does does you know does very good service, um, but the their their profits last year could have paid for the whole of the subsidised network in Brighton about fifteen times over. Um, but you know, but it it's not because um, they don't want to run the loss making routes, and so the council has to subsidise them. Um, so it, it it just you know it, the model's just not um, 
not really not really right if uh, if buses were all run by community businesses then there wouldn't be any need for subsidy and you know the community businesses would use profits from the the good services to to pay for the ones that are are let yeah you know, are not profitable on the basis that they're socially necessary right yeah. But then presumably you still have a limit, right? I mean, if there's a one individual, you know, 10 miles in the middle of nowhere. And so do you still have to, to, to draw some kind of a line? Yeah. I mean, if it's, you know, if it, if it makes no sense at all, right? if it's one, one individual 10 miles away, then the most efficient way of getting them to where they need to go is, is in a taxi or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's not a bus. Um, right. So I think you have to tailor the size of the vehicle to the demand quite quite um, closely. Otherwise, your your assets are not being used. Well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And and so when you started it as a when you so you had this this public. I mean that that even that kind of interesting to me. So you don't hear necessarily of people starting businesses with a public meeting so that really i suppose that's a statement of intent from the start that you're you're about the community right and so yeah. was it clear from that meeting that this should be because you're a, a cic right like a, a non-profit right. yeah well it's a it's a community interest company so yeah. uh we we make profit well we try to sometimes we do sometimes we don't um and but the, the difference is that our profit is the majority of our profit has to be used to benefit the community. Okay. So we, we can't, uh, you know, if we make say, you know, 10 grand one year, we can't just, uh, you know, say, there you, you go. Don't go and buy a yacht. <laughs> Thanks very much. That's, uh, <laughs> that was good. Well, um, well on directors, <laughs> it's, uh, you, know, it, you know, yeah, no, it's, it doesn't work like that. Um, we, so we have a, we have a formula. So it's, it's a bit of a hybrid model. Um, as a community interest company, you can, uh, you can be incorporated by shares or by guarantee. And essentially it's a, basically like a normal limited company but with this uh, extra community responsibility. And we are um, incorporated by shares because we want to sell shares to members of the community. We want to get that buy-in from people. And, you know, if possible, if we can make a, a profit, we can then um, make th those investments worthwhile for people. Right. So, um, however, the... We have a we have a formula where eighty percent of the uh, profit is reinvested for you know for developing more services for the community, and ten percent is given in dividends to shareholders, and ten percent goes into our staff fund, which is um, you know a kind of hardship slash social fund for for the team to kind of do what they want with. Oh, interesting. Um, and I, I, I read sometimes that the critique of non companies that are, are not for profit 
is that yeah. they don't necessarily build up the capital to then invest in innovation. But of course, what's interesting about your company is that you still you 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 take capital and and you do very much invest in innovation, which is a big part of your story, right? Yeah, massive. I mean, most of our capital is reinvested. So, so most of our profit is reinvested as capital. Mm. Um, and yeah, I I I think some sometimes that uh, um, that criticism is justified. Uh, we, I mean, I think I wanted very much with the Big Lemon to make sure that we could demonstrate that actually any business could run like this. It's not a, it's not a charity. We're not a load of do-gooders just trying to, you know, um, do nice things in our community. We're, we're running a business and that business has to work commercially and financially, but fun, you know, ultimately, and I think this, you know, going back, back to when the first businesses were, were started, you know, the business for me is about doing something for your community. You know, a shopkeeper is providing a vital service, i.e. food and so on, to members of their community. Um, so I think it's only relative recent history where business has become the a kind of byword for kind of capitalist X, yeah, whatever. <laughs> excess. Ex excess, yeah, completely. Um, and, you know, the businesses, I don't think in the past, were, were run, they weren't run to make people ridiculously rich. They were run to provide people with an honest living and generate benefit for their communities. So really the, the Big Lemon is the kind of, you know, let's get back to what business is all about and um, run business for the benefit of the community. But uh, it, it needs to, you know, in order to achieve our aims, we have to make money in order to invest and grow and, and do things better for our community. But ultimately, the whole, you know, the whole point of it is to provide a good service for the community. And I think that's what has got lost with uh, the big corporates is that ultimately they're not there to provide a service for the community. They provide their service in order to make money for their shareholders in London or and around the world. Um, right. And then they might argue, well, they're, they're often, pen or the, the biggest investors are pension holders. And so that's actually putting money in the pockets of pensioners. So ultimately they, do provide those profits cycle their way back to the community ultimately ultimately in a quite a long-winded roundabout way with no guarantee that anyone's actually going to benefit right i think it's just too it's too far-fetched you know those pensioners that hold those you know, have those investments through their pension funds um you know if if they if they actually had more locally based community services, then they wouldn't they, they wouldn't need those pension funds to do that. You know, they wouldn't need those pension funds. If uh, yeah, it's 
I think there's there's just too much lost through the system. You know, right. people at the top end of the company earning four million quid a year. I mean, that's you know just excess at at ridiculous levels. Um, but so I know I, I digress a tiny bit. Um, you you asked me about in a sense that, but that's part of who you are, right? You, I mean, you you declare yourself as a as a campaigner and a, and the CEO of Big Lemon. I mean, that's a big part of your story, isn't it? It's that you you have a sort of progressive political agenda, which you which is sort of seems to be part and parcel of your ethos for doing business and who you are as as Tom Druitt, right? Now. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I guess it's about having a, a basic philosophy for life and. And then, you know, using every area of your work to progress that in some way. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I suppose one of the things that that so I think this this social this community angle is really interesting, and as well as that is the tech angle and the fact that you're now the depending where you come from or the ecological angle. Because you you're now on the verge of being the only bus company in the UK with all electric fleet is that right so we're well we, we're not there yet but um we've uh we've recently ordered four more electric buses uh we've got three on the road at the moment and um we're we're putting in uh, a proposal for uh five more um to, to various you know various people who might be able to part fund it or them um so yes if we basically if we once we've got the four that we're due to to receive in in the autumn um will uh, our public our services in brighton will be uh, fully electric and that will be the first uh, fully electric public bus network run by any operator in the UK. Wow, I mean, um, that, that's so it's, interesting. It? <laughs> it's a small network. <laughs> I just have to make that clear. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are there are companies that run larger electric fleets. Um, I mean, I went to to visit a bus depot in in London recently that has forty eight electric buses. Uh, the whole the whole depot is only electric buses. There's forty eight, mm. um, but they're part of a massive operator that runs thousands of buses across the country. Um, so you know they're they're doing good stuff at this one bus depot, um, but you know they're they're a big group. They can, uh, yeah, they've got a lot of resources, and they've got, you know, still ninety-five percent of their fleet, um, non, you know, non-electric, still, um, you know, diesel buses. Um, but yeah, I think this is more like, in terms of uh, it, it's. It's impact. It's more a statement of intent. You know, we're we're going fully electric, fully zero emissions, uh, fully powered by renewable energy, and 
and then we'll we'll grow from there. And mm. and there's no there's no other company that's made that commitment in the UK. And I hope I hope many do. I would love I would love us not to be the only company that ran a full fleet of <laughs> renewably powered electric buses. Right, that sounds that sounds uh, echoes of Elon Musk there, where he talks about you know he wants to give away a lot of his uh, IP around developing the Tesla so that others can catch him up, basically sort of encouraging the car companies to to catch up and build electric. Well, I think I think Elon. I mean, I, I'm very flattered that you've uh, <laughs> put you in the same sentence. Compared, you put me and Elon in the same sentence, and I think what we're doing is on. Uh, altogether very different scale however <clears throat> yeah he's he's a guy that's got you know got a vision of a, a different kind of future and that's where that uh, motivation comes from i don't elon's not not in business to make money you can see that by what he does he's got uh, he's he's on a mission to realise his vision of the future, and yeah, but, I think, you, yeah. but could you make the case that he's also community focused? But for him, the community is the human race on the planet. If we were to give him that, um, and so what? What we're really talking in, but he's very much big business. He's got money from banks, and he's on the public stock market, and so on. Um, so he's coming from a similar place. It's just he's doing it at a different scale, and his definition of community is broader. Or, or do you think that any kind of enterprise that seeks to serve on that level is is sort of flawed in your philosophy? So it's an interesting point because um, I think the the main reason why I think that corporations are basically flawed structurally is because it's you know they're they're ultimately ruled by the money rather than the people. Um, and, and Tesla and Elon's other businesses, they're, they're a bit of a bit of an anomaly. And you could argue in a way that Facebook is also a bit of an anomaly because um, these are big corporations that are you know, that have all the bank money and everything. But they're still very much um, directed by that one person's philosophy, ideals, vision, and so forth. Um, so I think uh, you know it, there are there are a couple of exceptions, but but the the problem structurally is that. Those, those companies are only going to do well in, in the arena that they've kind of set up market, i.e. You know, the stock exchange. And they're only going to do well if they increase their profits year on year and increase, you know, increase them by more than they increased them last year and uh, return more money to shareholders than they did before and so on and so forth. And so ultimately, the um, you know there becomes a conflict between that person's vision and what course of action could 
most quickly achieve that vision and and the kind of requirement that that company has committed to to um to become a better corporation in the eyes of the stock market every year and those two things aren't the same things so it's a it's an interesting conflict and if you've got somebody you know somebody like elon i wouldn't um i wouldn't be surprised if if actually you know if it came to a choice between the two i quite uh, imagine him saying well sod the stock market i'm doing I, i'm going to generate a new solar powered rocket or something um because that's what i want to do <laughs> um but then you know if if he then chose to do that then um some of his money might walk right and and i think that's that's the problem that once you're playing that game you're very much you know entangled in the whole corporate system and and you've got to play the the stock market game otherwise your money will walk and if your money walks then you can't any longer achieve your vision and i agree that he's working on a you know to a community and to a community that's uh you know kind of a global community rather than a local community um but yeah it it'd be interesting to see what happens if he's faced with a kind of you know the choice pursue pursue the vision or pursue the money right and as, and, and so these exceptions that you're citing here um exist because of the extraordinary individuals at the top or perhaps just the way they've managed to structure their shareholdings so that they've kept a, a good amount of control um but as a structure, it tends to produce uh, companies with a different focus than, than the exceptions we've mentioned. Is that would that be your case? Yeah, I think uh, as a structure, it does. And I'm I'm not sure whether you know it might be that there are just some exceptions to the rule and and they do well and that's great. Um, but it, I'm, I am yeah. I think it might also be the case that. If you if you try and play both games, then ultimately uh, the conflict can't continue forever, and and you know, one 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 wins out. I know um, Richard Branson, for example. He he played the stock market game in the eighties, and and um, got so so frustrated by. Yeah, that game trying, you know, having to pander to the money, that um, that he then took Virgin Private again, and and had to buy all his shareholders out, which was quite expensive. But you know, he did it, right. and and in a way, you know, whatever you think of Branson, I know he's a bit of a Marmite character, but um, you know, he he also was somebody on a mission, and uh, you know he. Um, he had a an idea of how, especially, you know, especially customer service was supposed to work, and uh, and and he wanted to change all the industries he got involved in 
to to fit his vision of how things should be done. Um, it'd be even better if he paid all his taxes, but uh, you know, hey ho. Right. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's the other the other thing you're committed to with with a CIC is all of the money stays onshore, right? There's no. Yeah. It's, yeah, we're not registered in Bermuda. <laughs> Right. As much as I'd like to uh, have an excuse, I presume to that you're com competing with, <laughs> yeah. and you're, but you're competing. Are you competing with bus companies who do play those tricks? So you've got to work even harder, or um, that's a, that's an interesting question. I don't know, to be honest. I I think our, I mean, we're not really competing with bus companies, to be honest. We're competing with, uh, mostly, we're. We're competing with cars, essentially. Um, we're we're trying to provide a, a transport solution that is more, you know, more enjoyable for people to use than their own car. Right. And I think, in a way, I mean, our you know our main competitor in the bus industry in Brighton. It is one of the big groups, um, but you know we we get along pretty well with them. Um, I don't agree with their business model, but that's fine. They, you know, they. I don't think they care that I don't agree with it. <laughs> but um, but you know they're run by nice people and and they run a good service and you know I think. And, and we work quite well together on a kind of local pragmatic level. Uh, and I think they, the guys well, so that, that, that... That's interesting with people. So you don't... Because when you previously said, I don't, we, we only compete with cars, not the bus company, I was like, well, is that because you've, you've crushed the competition and you've, you know, you've eliminated them from your roots? Or, or as you say, is it because you, you have a sort of gentleman's agreement to only service certain routes? Or what, how does that work? Um, no, that um, those kind of gentlemen's agreements are basically illegal. <laughs> so, no, um, it's. I think it's about. It's about acknowledging that. I mean, when we set up the Big Lemon, we, you know, it, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't an attempt at world domination of the bus industry. It was an attempt to change the bus industry, um, make it more community focused, make the passengers pass, the passenger experience more personal, make the information um, much clearer, um, make the service more fun and friendly, make the buses more sustainable, and so on and so forth. Um, so I think the, you know, the, the best, I mean, the fact that we have existed in Brighton has changed the, uh, the landscape, um, of bus services in Brighton. And I think has improved it a lot, uh, not just because of the services that we've run, but, um, the changes that we've either kind of somehow 
forced through or the fact that we're here providing X means that somebody else has to up their game. Um, you know, I think that, so when we started, we, we uh, focused first of all on the university routes and we got a big following from students and uh, that started to hurt the other, the, the main kind of provider that run, ran the other services to the, to the university. Um, and so they started having to be a bit more creative. I think previously they'd taken the students for granted and there, was no, there were no student fares, there were no special deals. It was all, you know, students just had to pay the same fares as everyone else. Um, and it was a massive, you know, it was a, big cash cow for the for the bus company and but as soon as there was an alternative suddenly they were offering much better deals uh you know that the the the, the fares went down the uh fares on the night bus um they used to be charged like an extra fare on top of the normal fare um and that was abolished because we weren't charging that so you know so over a period of a couple of years, um, the, the frequencies, the prices, and the, the service generally that was provided by the other bus company to the students improved dramatically. And that was basically because they knew that if they didn't up their game, then students would use our buses instead. Um, that was a that was a positive uh, thing. I think um, then the ne the next main thing that happened was that um, that we pushed through with the council uh, a um, you know a kind of change in policy around uh, the provision of public transport in Brighton Hove because before that it was very much a yeah distinct. Um, it was just a kind of one show in town. Um, the council wasn't interested in working with anyone else. It was just they had a kind of bipartisan relationship with Brighton and Hove buses, and um, they, you know, they uh, they kind of had that kind of system stitched up, and the the, mo the monopoly was pretty much official. Um, but we had a petition that went to the council and it, it asked for, um, you know, essentially freeing it all up to allow other operators uh, equal status and, um, you know, to, to play a part in, in the city's transport. And that was successful. And as a result, we now have a multi-operator ticket, a multi-operator quality bus partnership and a whole load of, other things that, um, you know, that have kind of encouraged other operators to thrive in the city. And we now have um, three, I mean, it was, it was four um, kind of smaller companies, all, all providing services in the city, whereas previously it was pretty much just one. Right. Yeah. And the city council has benefited as well because, uh, the the, um, the subsidised services that I was talking about before, they uh, pretty much the only company that 
used to bid for those was Brighton and Hope buses. And, and so now that there are three or four companies all bidding for those, the prices are much lower and the council gets a much better deal. Right. Yeah. And that's local council taxpayers and the local community ultimately. So, yeah, there are, um, there are huge, there's a huge amount you can do as a small business to impact on, you know, the wider system and, and, you know, the larger businesses and the way the authorities, um, kind of you know, work with those businesses um it's not you know you don't have to you don't have to be a, you know a big company before you get any you know, any opportunity to, check, to change things right no I can, I can see that and again i'm seeing i'm gonna put the same sentence as elon musk again i can see the parallels in terms of you're coming at it from this mission, right? This, you know, I want to improve the, the, the community and the service to the community. He's coming at it from the terms of I want to improve the, the globe or whatever he's coming from. And, um, but he's having similar impacts, right? I mean, he's forcing the other companies to up their game in terms of electric cars. He's challenging yeah. some of the regulations around dealerships. He wants to sell direct to the consumer, right? And all of these existing car companies have got these dealership relationships. So, um, so he's challenging, and, and with the autopilot stuff, he's challenging regulations in terms of driving regulations. So, so what I'm getting is, is it, is, it, is it really so much that you're small or is it really so much that you're coming from a place of purpose and mission and this is, this is what has you be disrupted? I know, I, I, I think completely. I think, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it is about the purpose and the mission. And I think my point was basically that it doesn't matter if you're small. As long as you have purpose and mission, you can still impact on the industry as a whole. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, through global terms, Tesla was a minnow compared with all the other companies in the car industry. But um, they, they've changed the game now. You know, and, and as you say, you know, all the other companies are scrambling to produce electric vehicles because um, Tesla has shown that they're you know, that they, they work and people love them and so on and so forth. I think before, before Tesla, people, yeah, people used to laugh at electric cars, didn't they? They were f funny little, cra crazy little things that wackos in, in the West End of London used to, or, or Camden or somewhere, just... Or, or Milkman drove. My, my uncle was a Milkman. He had yeah, right, yeah. Car. Um, but yeah, he's completely changed people's perception of electric cars. Um, and I think that's, you know, with, with us running electric vehicles, I mean, we, you know, we essentially, we want to, uh, right from the beginning, we wanted to run the buses with the lowest environmental impact possible. So we started off uh, in those days running the buses on waste cooking oil from local restaurants and that that worked really well for i don't know five or six well probably seven 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 or eight years yeah and um, and two or three years ago it, it stopped working for the buses simply because the the bus technologies had kind of developed 
to the point where um, if you didn't use the exact same fuel that the bus was designed to run on, then it just wouldn't work. Whereas older machines are much more forgiving. Um, and yeah, we've got some, some old Volvos and Mercedes that, that kind of chew, chew through anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so biodiesel stopped working, biodiesel from you know, waste cooking oil. One, you have to process it. And once, once it's processed, it's generally called biodiesel. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's not actually anything to do with diesel. It just, it just refers to the fact that it's a, a diesel replacement. Um, yeah, once that wasn't really an option anymore, it, it, uh, luckily for us, it, it happened at just about the same time that electric buses were becoming a thing. Yeah, that actually, yeah, they existed and they worked and so on and so forth. Um, so that was kind of for us the the obvious choice. Uh, much more expensive option, obviously. Electric buses cost roughly twice the cost of the the equivalent diesel bus. Um, which means, yeah, the four that we've just bought were almost three hundred thousand pounds each. Um, so a, a completely different business model, much more capital focused because. Yeah, they're so expensive. And then obviously the running costs are much lower. because uh, yeah, there's no there's no diesel to put in them or biodiesel. Right. I, I actually got um, a, a Tesla taxi the other day. Yeah. He spent seventy thousand seventy five thousand pounds on his on his taxi, but he'd done the numbers and over ten years it was gonna be cheaper than a petrol. Right. Uh so yeah. he bought it. Right. Yeah. And it was an amazing ride. And he did he did his sort of Whatever it is, is uh, it's the psycho mode or whatever on the Tesla where you just... Oh, yeah. So I had yeah. my... Uh, there is, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, that, that crazy yeah. one. So that was, yeah. that was fun. There is, fair play to it. And, you know, there is some risk involved because, uh, well, in the bus industry, um, no electric buses have existed long enough to reach the end of their life, which basically means that nobody knows how long they're going to last for. So we've worked out if, if it lasts more than seven years, then we're quids in. Uh, and if it doesn't, then, you know. <laughs> Back to cooking oil. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure in seven years, um, the technology will have improved quite dramatically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, but it is, you know, it is more expensive. But I th so I think for, for us, it was the obvious choice. But also, you know, if we can accelerate the change to a fully electric fleet, then, you know, that does put pressure on the larger companies to, uh, yeah, to change their game. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if, if people start expecting bus companies to, to have much less impact and uh, run zero emission vehicles. And yeah, if they say, well, look, the Big Lemon's only got a dozen vehicles, but that they've they've managed to, you know, they're only little, but they've managed to go fully electric, then then why can't you? I mean, just to um, just as a comparison again, you know, the 
apparently to change the whole of the Brighton Hove bus fleet to zero emissions would cost 176 million pounds, which is a ridiculously large amount of money. Um, however, that that is only, that's about 10 years worth of profit um, for for that company. Um, so essentially it could be done over 10 years at you know at zero cost to the <laughs> to the company just by using using its profit to to reinvest in it um and then of course and then the added advantage there is that they're they're, they're then not at the mercy of the vagaries of the oil price then right over that period so it, it de-risks the yeah. business yeah. yeah yeah but um you know but they but last march they returned or whenever it was they you know that they returned uh, i don't know 16 17 million back to shareholders and think well that that could have that, that could have changed 10 percent of their fleet mm-hmm. um and this is where we get back to the the corporation argument you know in a way it doesn't matter what the what the man, you know, what the directors of that company believe in, um, you know, they might really want to change their fleet to zero emissions really soon, but because they're playing this money game on the stock market, they they have to do other things and and kind of lose the money, if you like, uh, that way rather than investing it in what they want hmm. but what's to stop your shareholders you said that a lot of you know you you're to some extent funded through selling shares and, and yeah have, what about the what about those what's to stop them saying oh actually you know we're sort of over the you know the electric thing can you we want we want <laughs> we want more dispersals of profit back to us and we'll spend it in the community in other ways i mean is that some is somehow baked into your structure that you don't have to play the same game with your shareholders. So there's a couple of safeguards. Obviously, with a community interest company, um, the there are there are rules. Um, so, for example, we have to reinvest at least seventy percent of our profits into community benefit. Um, we can't, you know, if, if shareholders said. You know this this eighty twenty rule. We don't like it. We want a fifty fifty. You know, reinvesting some obviously is sensible, but we want fifty percent of profits distributed to shareholders. Well, that's just illegal and not possible under yeah, our structure. So it's, it's a bit, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I think part part yeah. That's why we chose to be a CIC. So that would kind of safeguard the values of the company within the law. Um. And I think, you know, shareholders could say this electric thing, why, you know, why are you doing that? Let's, let's spend the money on something else. But then I think it comes back down to, you know, the, the articles of association of the company and so on. And, and you know, sustainability is, 
is one of the founding blocks of the business. So in a way, it would be kind of unconstitutional to abandon it because it's one of the one of the reasons uh, that we exist. Right. So and and because of that, you know, we've attracted shareholders that that share those values and want to uh, want to see our vision. Um, you know, uh, become reality. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and and they also have to uh, sign a statement when they become a shareholder that they do share the values and 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 the vision of the Big Lemon. Right. Uh, so you know, that, I mean, who can tell? Yeah, what <laughs> what crazy things happen? Yeah, might happen. But there are safeguards that you can make to to make sure that you know the reason you set up the company uh, is not going to get lost in the future. Right. Um, and then you attract people that that share you know share the same passion for for seeing that happen, and and then you know they they joined us because they want sustainable transport. Not because yeah, they you want. Start, you start a movement as much as you did a, a company, right? I, I, yeah, I suppose so. I think that's 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 the aim, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, and Would I think you... people, our investors, are. I think this is what this is where we come back to community business as a business model, because our investors. I think it's fair to say their primary reason for investing is to. Um, of enable our vision to become reality uh yes they need to make you know they they need to make sure that their money's not going to get lost or frittered away um and so you know kind of financial discipline is very important but you know if we can give them a modest return that justifies you know kind of inflation plus a little bit um then really they they've invested in us because they want this thing to work not because they want to uh you know buy the next yacht or something <laughs> although that wouldn't be too bad either eco yeah obviously um yeah and so i've got one one question from long-term listener peter venn who's he's got this critique about the long the lifetime environmental impact of producing electric vehicles so yeah. have you done the the analysis on that because i know that just producing the batteries and creating the vehicle itself has an environmental impact right okay so we haven't done the analysis but somebody with much more resource has um it's the the low carbon vehicle partnership um they do testing of various different buses um and they they provide all sorts of data on um essentially greenhouse gas emissions um and so we can compare with our, they, they produce a certificate for each low emission bus. And we can compare what, uh, what the lifetime 
well-to-wheel greenhouse gas emissions of our bus is compared with a, a standard diesel vehicle. Did you say well-to-wheel? Yeah. As in a well that you get the minerals out of to... So... Um, what do you mean by well? So well, well being a diesel well, uh, an oil okay. well. Oil one. So it's, right. Yeah. So it's compared with... Um, I mean, it's called well to wheel because that's, you know, it's, it's baseline is, is a diesel vehicle. Um, but essentially it's the, it's the lifetime costs, uh, of, yeah, the lifetime greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions from everything. Including so, building it. Yeah. Including building the vehicle, uh, and disposing of the parts or recycling or whatever you, whatever happens at the end of the vehicle's life. And it includes obviously, you know, assembly of the vehicle and transport to where it's going to be used and so on and so forth. And also the, um, obviously, um, from the, the oil side, you know, um, getting the oil out of the ground and, refining it and transporting it and so on yeah so i mean there's a the the impact of batteries is potentially large we can't there's no way of getting around that batteries the battery the cost environmentally of our buses is in large part the environmental cost of producing the batteries People often talk about the cost of disposing the batteries. To be honest, um, the resources in those batteries are now so valuable that that's not, I don't think that's as much of a, a consideration as it was. Um, you know, batteries are not being put in landfill sites. They're being meticulously unpicked um, and 99.9% .9 of the parts be used to make new batteries or other you know or other things so um yeah bat batteries they they take a huge amount of energy and uh you know chemical you know processes and so on to create them but um but then in terms of resource use those yeah, the materials, the minerals that are used to make batteries are, are reused and reused and reused. Um, so the data uh, from the low vehicle, sorry, low carbon vehicle partnership. Um, so over the lifetime of a of a average Euro five diesel bus, um, it it produces an equivalent of 998.1 grams of CO2 per kilometer that it drives in its life. Um, the one of our electric buses will produce um, 304.3 grams of CO2 per kilometer in its manufacturer use and disposal. So that's a saving of, of 70% of, 
of the uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So there is an impact, of course, but it's a massive reduction. And I think there are yeah, the other benefits in terms of uh, air quality being the biggest one. You know, air quality in cities is a massive public health risk, uh, causes thousands of deaths each year. And, um, you know, with zero emissions vehicles, uh, that will, that, that particular, um, you know, hazard will be, you know, far, far reduced. Um, I think we'll, you know, in 20, 30 years, we'll look back at, at the 20th century and the first bit of this century and think, what, what were we thinking of doing? You know, what were we thinking? <laughs> How on earth? <laughs> I think people breathe in those cities. to happen? Like, people just belching out poison into the air for everyone else to breathe. Like, isn't that just the most ridiculous thing? It's a bit like, um, you know, the conversation around the smoking ban. You know, suddenly, yeah, now people think, well, wait a minute, if you're... Yeah, if you're in a restaurant or pub or or even public transport, yeah, if you're a non-smoker, why should you be breathing all the smoke that smokers are smoking? Yeah. And but you know, as a non-driver, why should you be breathing all the smoke that drivers are belching out every day of the week? It it's it's like passive smoking, basically, but it's perfectly legal. And, um, yeah, I think we'll look back and think this is all a bit weird how we allowed this to happen. Yeah, I get it when I cycle on my Boris bike in London. Yeah, I, right. I, I cycle across London, I feel like I've just, uh, just had 40 fags or cigarettes right. for American listeners. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and then when I, because I also have spent some of my time out in the countryside, it's, it's night and day the difference, right? If you, um, yeah, so I think you're right. I think we'll look back at it. I mean, I think we've 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 improved from what I understand of uh, horse and carts and all the horrific um, smells and you know pollution at earlier part of the uh, the twentieth century. But um, yeah, you're right. I think people will still look back at this era as being pretty filthy and disgusting. Yeah, people, yeah. Um, and it's a bit like um, you know, <clears throat> back in a couple hundred years ago. People used to pour everything into rivers. Yeah, all chemical waste and factory waste and everything just dumped in the river. Oh, it's all right. It'll just wash away and go somewhere else. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. And then suddenly, you know, fish start dying and the seas start uh, getting polluted and full of plastic. And uh, and and people are thinking, you know wait a minute, what? You, can't, you can't just do that. <laughs> and now, you know, you can't just build a factory next to a river and pump all your waste into the river. It's just it's not what we do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're very, very similar kinds of things. And it just takes a, a bit of a, a shift in consciousness, really, to, yeah, for these things to suddenly become... You know, seen for what they are, just completely crazy. Mm. And to be fair for people, I didn't have the technology to do it well. 
until recently to have it to do it any other way but now the technology technology exists and there are companies well, you, like yours you, that, you know there were electric buses 100 years ago um and a friend of mine's written a, a really interesting book about how um how the uh the electric buses that um that were built you know over a hundred years ago and and used running they were running in london and brighton um they were essentially um yeah they were killed off basically on purpose and um i'm just trying to remember what the book was called it's something like the 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 big swindle or something like that um, right. i've heard this before i mean i know it's sometimes couched as a conspiracy theory but for those who obviously there are those who don't believe it's a conspiracy or at least it was a conspiracy but um, um valid in the sense that there were forces that killed it off yeah but just not yeah, just buses, but cars in general right and this was a, yeah. a scheme by the oil companies and so on yeah the book's called a most deliberate swindle and this was this this was um people working very hard to kill off the technology in order to um yeah preserve their commercial interests right um and as a result we've lost a century of zero emission vehicle innovation which were, which yeah. does beg the question then why are they allowing it this time around but maybe that's a that's another podcast. Yeah, right. I think that is another. <laughs> that, that's another podcast, definitely. Um, but I think, yeah, in in very simple terms, um, the world has moved on, and there's much more pressure and much more awareness of of yeah public health issues and air pollution and so on. Okay. So. Um, you know, a hundred years ago, Joe Public probably didn't see uh, diesel vehicles as being bad or you know unhealthy. They just, yeah, they were new and exciting and you know uh, different and yeah, they they probably didn't care whether they were powered by diesel or electric. Whereas now it's a much bigger thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. The other thing I wanted to bring up was so the other big part of Big Lemon is is so there's the eco angle, there's the community angle, but there's also the the internal culture and there's this big focus on happiness and well being of your staff. So, can you tell me a little bit more about your philosophy in terms of leading the company and and creating the culture of Big Lemon? Yeah, I think it. Um in a way, it comes back to the passenger experience that we were talking about. Um, I think that it's, it, it, you know, it's impossible to deliver uh, a, a good passenger experience if you've got a miserable, underpaid, angry driver who you know hates his job or her job, um, doesn't like the management and you know so on and so forth and apart from that you know obviously we uh you know we i think the the big lemon it's it's great kind of 
love I love the title of your podcast because um, the Big Lemon is all about being human and and returning businesses and and the way we interact with our community to a human human scale. And in the same way, you know, we we want to um, bring that staff relationship back to a human level, back to a human scale. Um, we only have, uh, yeah, we have a much smaller team. I think our, our kind of strategy for growth as well is not to become massive, but uh, to replicate ourselves. So we continue to have a small team that knows each other, trusts each other, likes working with each other, has a good time at work, uh, has good relationship with managers, and um, essentially enjoys, you know, if the team are well looked after and enjoying themselves, then they're going to give them a much better service to passengers on the bus. So, you know, I think obviously there are, there are very good reasons um, to be kind of a, a good employer. Um, but one of one of one really good reason to be a good employer is because it it ultimately provides a much better service to your customers as well. I think that's so that's the kind of philosophical basis for it. Um, we do a lot of things. I think most most people come to us and say, you know, I, I got fed up working where I was before. I was just treated like a number. And yeah, they they were they they had their driver number, and there were eight hundred of them, and you know they didn't know all their colleagues, let alone you know um, their management, their managers, and the the senior team. So yeah, I think I think in a large corporation, you've got essentially a machine where everyone's slightly dehumanized. Um, whereas in a community business, you've got a human scale um, family, really. And we've always tried to run the Big Lemon as much like a family. Hmm. And is there anything you've had to change about your style to enable it? Is there any, any transition you've had to go through? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I suppose. Um, I, so I, before I did this, I was involved with the military for a number of years and, um, and it's very different, a very different kind of, you know, system. And yeah, in the military, you, you basically just did what you're told. And if you, passed your orders down the line, then you expected everyone who received them to follow them. And, um, you know, there wasn't much discussion about, you know, the <laughs> right folks, what should we do about this, uh, you know, this challenge? Or <laughs> it was, you know, you, you just said, right, this is what we're going to do. And, and everyone just had to do it. Um, and, and likewise from your seniors, you know, you didn't get a, 
you didn't get your opinion. Nobody cared what you thought. You just had to take whatever came and, and deal with it. Um, whereas we operate in the Big Lemon in a very different way. And, you know, we, we talk about the big decisions that the company is facing and, and how to, you know, how we want to address them and how we want to move forward. And, and I think um, that, yeah, that engagement is very important in a community business or indeed in any business. And people want to have the opportunity to affect change within their organization. I think if people, you know, if, if people just feel powerless, then ultimately they're not going to enjoy it. So we do, you know, we have regular, we, we meet as a team, as a whole team every three months. Um, and we generally have a kind of morning of, you know, the big questions and then, you know, a barbecue or something and, and a, and a fun, fun afternoon doing something different. Um, so, you know, the, the social aspect is very important, but I think people appreciate having, um, you know, having a say in, in how the company's run. And we have, you know, we've, we, one of our drivers, um, we have a, we have a kind of driver, uh, on the board. Um, we, you know, I think that's very important to have that, uh, that input to, um, to kind of bring the driver's perspective because the driver is the person who is delivering the frontline service and they see everything. They see, you know, the, how the passengers are responding to, yeah, the new timetable, for example, or you know whether they, yeah, maybe they've one bus is uncomfortable or whatever it is. But the driver's the person that sees everything, and um, those perspectives are really important at the board. And I think also uh, it's important for all the drivers to know that their interests are being uh, kind of their yeah, interests are being voiced at the at the highest level. When I say the highest level, it's not it's not a hierarchy, but um at the kind of the fundamental levels of decision making. Right. And if I well if I were to play sort of arch catalyst devil's advocate here, yeah automated <laughs> <laughs> automated buses come along right i mean that that technology is going to hit at some point whether it's five years or ten years or, or whatever so it's, it's coming what happens then you know how do you have the okay we need to get rid of our drivers to sit you know conversation when you've got a driver representative on the board i mean do you think about that yeah i think um i think the answer is that uh, automated buses are not providing a community service um that you know, the, the role of the bus driver is not just to drive the bus, it's to look after the passengers. And in an automated vehicle, that's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, there, there may be a role that automated vehicles play in, in providing kind of mass transit. But um, essentially, they're not, you know, automated vehicles are not going to provide 
a service like you know like what we provide um and we when we recruit bus drivers you know how well they drive the bus is is important but it's not the not the first thing we look for in a person we're looking for fundamentally for uh nice friendly people who care about other people and care about uh giving a good service to our passengers and that's what their role is on the bus the the fact that they're moving the steering wheel around at the same time is fundamental but secondary so you'd see them continuing yes completely yeah. and, um, they, they would you know they if you if you lost the bus driver then three quarters of the work on the bus wouldn't be done interesting hmm. mm. okay so you you so it sounds like you've created very different cultures than the one you were used to in the army. Um, has there ever been a, a sort of a moment where you've you've caught yourself and you've been like, oh, you know, you've sort of been in old, maybe there's a moment of stress and you've barked out an order or has, has there been ever a moment where you sort of found yourself? Having... Uh, I'm sure there's probably been quite a few. Um, I don't, um, I don't think I'd bark out orders very often, but, <laughs> but I, I, I'm a, my nature is quite impatient. I, I like to progress things quickly and I get frustrated by things taking too long. So, you know, the, the, I, I, I can get kind of short, same as everyone else. Um, but it's generally because something hasn't happened or like, for goodness sake, people, why can't we, like, shift this along a bit? <laughs> That's about the extent of my anger. <laughs> that sounds very British. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, that's, so it sounds like it's not been a huge challenge to sort of embrace this more. <laughs> uh, how might you say it? Sort of participative culture. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that caught my eye was the 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 happy bus initiative right yeah which you explained came from a sort of brainstorming session and um that's um so is that something where you kind of come up i'm interested in the process where you have an idea like that and how do you then have it manifest in the company and um, so the happy bus was that was actually something that came up at, at the happy startup summer camp um we were we were told i think we were in groups of five or six people we had 15 minutes to come up with uh, an, an idea uh, basically a, a whole business plan for a new venture and um we came up with this uh vent I mean, it was slightly crazy but we came up with this thing called the happy helicopter and the happy helicopter would uh, would descend on somebody who needed a bit of a lift. Um, Metaphorically, <laughs> literally. Yeah. And, um, and, and then take them to a happy place and, and do happy things. So, you know, it might be 
uh, you know, the helicopter parking on outside somebody's workplace and um, take, extracting them from their daily grind behind their desk, uh, bundling them in a helicopter and taking them to a castle somewhere where 50 of their friends and family were, were having a party for them. Um, or, you know, or something else. So we came up with this, uh, with this idea and, and it, you know, the public were going to nominate people they thought deserved a, you know, a, a special trip. prize. And, um, you know, we worked out how it was going to be paid for and how da 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 you know, so on and so forth. And um, at the end of this, uh, you know, this exercise, it was only obviously an exercise, but uh, it was good fun. And at the end of it, I just thought, wait, wait a minute. Um, we could just do this with a bus. <laughs> we don't need a helicopter. <laughs> so I said to the others, look, do you mind if I just run with this? Um, and they were like, no, go for it. So, um, so now we run the happy bus. And uh, basically anyone can nominate anyone. There's a link on our website. And uh, the idea is that the the nominate you know the nominator um, comes up with a plan, uh, maybe in connect, you know, conjunction with somebody's friends or family, as to what they're gonna do to um, yeah, to bring some joy into this person's life. Uh, and um, yeah, and we've done some cool things. Um, what's, what's been the one that's touched you the most or moved you the most? Well, I think um, probably the, the one where we took refugees to uh, Chichester Harbour for a sailing, a, a day out sailing. Um, and this was, they were nominated by uh, somebody that worked in a, in a charity that helped refugees and they thought that refugees would really, you know, really love a trip. Um, and they, uh, they had the most wonderful day out and they were beaming and there were, you know, all, all ages and, you know, men, women and children, uh, from all different parts of the world, uh, got on the happy bus and, uh, and went to Chichester for a day out on the boats. And they, yeah, they they really loved it. Um, and yeah, they must have been through the most horrific experiences to get where they've where they've come. Um so that was really nice. Yeah. We made a video of it. That's on our website too. <laughs> Bigleather.com, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's that's awesome. And uh, and what's the catchment for our listenership? <laughs> how 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 far will the bus come? And oh well, it's a good question. Um, well, <laughs> and it's it's mainly you know it, it's kind of Brighton based at yeah. the moment. We're we'd love to take it to other places, but but it's basically. Uh, you know how far from Brighton the bus can get to and back in a day. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Right. So if you're listening in Spain, you might have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. But you know, no reason why uh, you know, the the happy bus can't also run in other places. Right. And if yeah. other you know, if other companies want to run a happy bus, then then that would be really cool as well. Right. And that's your so your expansion plan would, as you say, would be to replicate it. So not so much that you. So that's that's companies creating their own big lemon companies in in their communities, right? Is that how you see that working? Yeah, and that's there's there's various different ways that it could work in practice, but that's um, that's mainly. Um, uh, I think the what. You know, a big part of what we'd like to do is to to help other people in other communities set up something similar to, you know, to the Big Lemon in their community, so that they you know they can have that community focus, sustainable transport, um, there as well, and and we're kind of yeah we're agnostic really as to whether we run those services or we just help other people to set it up and then they run them themselves or whether indeed, you know, other established bus companies um, look at what we're doing and think, well, wait a minute, why don't we run a, a service that's more focused on the community and more, um, you know, runs more sustainable vehicles. Um, so we're interested in working with anyone really. Um, yeah. For us, it's, we're not precious about how we get there, but we our our vision for 2030 is for there to be sustainable transport um, in every community in the company that's zero emissions, powered by renewables, and owned by the community. Wow, yeah, it's a great vision. And in terms of the model, it reminds. So, have you come across Bert's Hog, the uh, the nursing company in Holland? uh i've heard about them mm, but yes, they sound... i have heard about them i don't know very much about them but i have heard about them but very similar in terms of what reminds me of is the, your sort of in expansion ideas so he the guy who's he's a nurse who set the thing up and i don't think they necessarily set up as separate companies but they're definitely set up as within the idea of you have a nursing team for a community and then expansion happens organically when nurse groups of nurses in new communities decide to create uh, create their own version of Burtzog in their community. And then anything they need from the center is just a pull. So if they need some service from the center, they get it from as a, yeah. as a pull from the center. But then the other thing is that's interesting is the CEO of that company spends most of his time consulting for free for other companies in terms of how they could be more like <laughs> his company. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, because not having so much central control means that he's not having to make you know hundreds of decisions every day like most CEOs. So he's in fact the, the, the reason I know this story is Frederick Leloux, who wrote Reinventing Organizations, tried to get a meeting with this guy, and the guy responds back and says, "Hey, you know my my diary is free for the next month. Pick your spot. You know what, what CEO has a diary that looks like that?" So. Uh, so uh, yeah, it just reminds me when you were talking about how part of your model might be helping others to do the same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. that's yeah, that's what we like to do. I think I think this yeah, this human scale is very important. That it's not just yeah, growing and growing and growing and becoming really big. It's it's actually just doing yeah, having a small community based family orientated uh, community business working in in every community and ultimately that i think that needs to be driven by local people yeah yeah okay well i think we've um we've had a good run my my final question for all my guests then is, yeah. is tom drew it what does it mean for you to be human well uh i think it means playing it so i think for me i think it means two things it means following your your own vision your own destiny your purpose in life and giving something to your yeah, giving something to your community. You know, we're social beings. We're, we're, yeah, we've, we've grown up in communities since day one. And um, we have amazing capacity as human beings to follow our, our vision of, you know, what uh, what we want the world to look like and um we have a a responsibility to our fellow humans to um try and improve the world fantastic <laughs> well, that's, that's that moved me yeah that's, that's great thank you okay cool well so thanks for having me it's been a real pleasure chatting um hopefully it's been interesting to to people <laughs> yeah, no i'm sure it was i mean yes uh, yeah, i'm sure people will get a, a lot of value from the story so for people to learn more about big lemon big, is it thebiglemon.com is that yes. right and yes. they can follow you on twitter yeah and you've got a Absolutely. blog yeah the, yeah um to, uh, you've got the the tom Druitt blog right wordpress um, Yes, there's well the, the the main big lemon blog is on our website. There's a, there's a news page with uh, a number of posts. Um, I've also been blogging in the past. I haven't put up very much recently, um, but um, yeah, tomdrewitt.wordpress.com um, shows a few <laughs> a few yeah. Few thoughts in there. So it relates to your activism. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much. And we'll put the links to the research about the, the lifetime impact of the vehicles um, for people if they're yeah. interested in that side of it. Um, cool. Other than that, thank you. Thank you, Tom, for being human. Well, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> nice one. Cheers. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by. First Human. For more on First Human's 
human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.